0: Download the Viator app now and use code VIATOR10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Chapter 81. The Pequod Meets the Virgin. Part 2. As the three boats lay there on that gently rolling sea, gazing down into its eternal blue noon and as not a single groan or cry of any sort, nay, not so much as a ripple or a bubble, came up from its depths. What landsman would have thought that beneath all that silence and placidity the utmost monster of the seas was writhing and wrenching in agony? Not eight inches of perpendicular rope were visible at the bows, Seems it credible that by three such thin threads the great leviathan was suspended like the big weight to an eight-day clock? Suspended? And to what? To three bits of board? Is this the creature of whom it was once so triumphantly said, "Canst thou fill his skin with barbed irons, or his head with fish spears? The sword of him that layeth at him cannot hold, the spear the dart." He esteemeth iron as straw. The arrow cannot make him flee. Darts are counted as stubble. He laugheth at the shaking of a spear. This the creature? This he? Oh, that unfulfillment should follow the prophets! For with the strength of a thousand thighs and his tail, Leviathan had run his head under the mountain of the sea to hide from the Pequod's fish spears. In that sloping afternoon sunlight, the shadows that the three boats sent down beneath the surface must have been long enough and broad enough to shade half Xerxes' army. Who can tell how appalling to the wounded whale must have been such huge phantoms flitting over his head? "'Stand by, men, he stirs,' cried Starbuck, as the three lines suddenly vibrated in the water, distinctly conducting upwards to them, as by magnetic wires the life and death throbs of the whale.' "'so that every oarsman felt them in his seat. "'The next moment, relieved in great part "'from the downward strain at the bows, "'the boats gave a sudden bounce upwards, "'as a small ice-field will, "'when a dense herd of white bears "'are scared from it into the sea. "Haul in, haul in,' cried Starbuck again. "'He's rising.' The lines, of which hardly an instant before not one hand's breadth could have been gained, were now in long, quick coils, flung back all dripping into the boats, and soon the whale broke water within two ships' lengths of the hunters. His motions plainly denoted his extreme exhaustion. In most land animals there are certain valves or floodgates in many of their veins, whereby when wounded the blood is in some degree at least instantly shut off in certain directions not so with the whale one of whose peculiarities it is to have an entire non-valvular structure of the blood vessels so that when pierced even by so small a point of the harpoon a deadly drain is at once begun upon his whole arterial system and when this is heightened by the extraordinary pressure of water at a great distance below the surface his life may be said to pour from him in incessant streams Yet so vast is the quantity of blood in him and so distant and numerous its interior fountains that he will keep thus bleeding and bleeding for a considerable period, even as in a drought a river will flow whose source is in the well-springs of far-off and undiscernible hills. Even now, when the boats pulled upon this whale and perilously drew over his swaying flukes and the lances were darted into him, they were followed by steady jets from the new-made wound, which kept continually playing, while the natural spout hole in his head was only at intervals, however rapid, sending its affrighted moisture into the air. From this last event, no blood yet came, because no vital part of him had thus far been struck. His life, as they significantly call it, was untouched. As the boats now more closely surround him, the whole upper part of his form, with much of it that is ordinarily submerged, was plainly revealed. His eyes, or rather the places where his eyes had been, were beheld. As strange misgrown masses gather in the knot holes of the noblest oaks when prostrate, so from the points which the whale's eyes had once occupied, now protruded blind bulbs, horribly pitiable to see but pity there was none. For all his old age, and his one arm, and his blind eyes, he must die the death and be murdered, in order to light the gay bridles and other merry makings of men, and also to illuminate the solemn churches that preach unconditional inoffensiveness by all to all. Still rolling in his blood, at last he partially disclosed a strangely discolored bunch or protuberance the size of a bushel low down on the flank. A nice spot, cried Flask. Just let me prick him there once. Avast, cried Starbuck. There's no need of that. But humane Starbuck was too late. At the instant of the dart, an ulcerous jet shot from this cruel wound and goaded by it into more than sufferable anguish. The whale, now spouting thick blood, with swift fury, blindly darted at the craft, bespattering them and their glorying crews all over with the showers of gore. Capsizing Flask's boat and marring the bows. It was his death stroke. For by this time, so spent was he by loss of blood that he helplessly rolled away from the wreck he had made, lay panting on his side, impotently flapped with his stumped fin, then over and over slowly revolved like a waning world, turned up the white secrets of his belly, lay like a log, and died. It was most piteous, that last expiring spout. As when by unseen hands the water is gradually drawn off from some mighty fountain, and with half-stifled melancholy gurglings, the spray column lowers and lowers to the ground, so the last long-dying spout of the whale. Soon, while the crews were awaiting the arrival of the ship, the body showed symptoms of sinking with all its treasures unrifled, Immediately, by Starbuck's orders, lines were secured to it at different points, so that ere long every boat was a buoy, the sunken whale being suspended a few inches beneath them by the cords. By very heedful management, when the ship drew nigh, the whale was transferred to her side, and was strongly secured there by the stiffest fluke chains, for it was plain that unless artificially upheld, the body would at once sink to the bottom." It so chanced that almost upon first cutting into him with the spade, the entire length of a corroded harpoon was found embedded in his flesh, on the lower part of the bunch before described. But as the stumps of harpoons are frequently found in the dead bodies of captured whales, with the flesh perfectly healed around them, and no prominence of any kind to denote their place, therefore there must needs have been some other unknown reason in the present case "'fully to account for the ulceration alluded to. "'But still more curious was the fact of a lance head of stone being found in him, "'not far from the buried iron, the flesh perfectly firm about it. "'Who had darted that stone lance, and when? "'It must have been darted by some Northwest Indian long before America was discovered.' What other marvels might have been rummaged out of this monstrous cabinet, there is no telling. But a sudden stop was put to further discoveries, by the ships being unprecedentedly dragged over sideways to the sea, owing to the body's immensely increasing tendency to sink. However, Starbuck, who had the ordering of affairs, hung on to it to the last, hung on to it so resolutely, indeed, that when at length the ship would have been capsized, if still persisting in locking arms of the body, then when the command was given to break clear from it, such was the immovable strain upon the timberheads, to which the fluke chains and cables were fastened, that it was impossible to cast them off. Meantime, everything in the Pequod was a slant. To cross to the other side of the deck was like walking up the steep gabled roof of a house. The ship groaned and gasped, Many of the ivory inlayings of her bulwarks and cabins were started from their places by the unnatural dislocation. In vain, handspikes and crows were brought to bear upon the immovable fluke chains to pry them adrift from the timber heads. And so low had the whale now settled that the submerged ends could not be at all approached, while every moment whole tons of ponderosity seemed added to the sinking bulk, and the ship seemed on the point of going over Hold on, hold on, won't ye, cried Stubb to the body. Don't be in such a devil of a hurry to sink. By thunder, men, we must do something or go for it. No use prying there. Avast, I say with your hand spikes, and run one of ye for a prayer book and a penknife, and cut the big chains. Knife? Aye, aye, cried Queequeg. And seizing the carpenter's heavy hatchet, he leaned out of a porthole, and steel to iron began slashing at the largest fluke chains but a few strokes full of sparks were given when the exceeding strain affected the rest. With a terrific snap, every fastening went adrift, the ship righted. The carcass sank. Now, this occasional, inevitable sinking of the recently killed sperm whale is a very curious thing, nor has any fisherman yet adequately accounted for it. Usually the dead sperm whale floats with great buoyancy, with its side or belly considerably elevated above the surface. If the only whales that thus sank were old, meager, and broken-hearted creatures, their pads of lard diminished, and all their bones heavy and rheumatic, then you might with some reason assert that this sinking is caused by an uncommon specific gravity in the fish so sinking, consequent upon this absence of buoyant matter in him. But it is not so, For young whales, in the highest health, and swelling with noble aspirations, prematurely cut off in the warm flush and may of life, with all their panting lard about them, even these brawny, buoyant heroes do sometimes sink. Be it said, however, that the sperm whale is far less liable to this accident than any other species. Where one of that sort go down, twenty right whales do. This difference in the species is no doubt imputable in no small degree to the greater quantity of bone in the right whale. His Venetian blinds alone, sometimes weighing more than a ton, from this encumbrance the sperm whale is wholly free. But there are instances where, after the lapse of many hours or several days, the sunken whale again rises, more buoyant than in life. But the reason of this is obvious. Gases are generated in him. He swells to a prodigious magnitude, becomes a sort of animal balloon. A line of battleship could hardly keep him under then. In the shore whaling, on soundings, among the bays of New Zealand, when a right whale gives token of sinking, they fasten buoys to him, with plenty of rope, so that when the body has gone down, they know where to look for it when it shall have ascended again it was not long after the sinking of the body that a cry was heard from the Pequod's mastheads, announcing that the young Frau was again lowering her boats. Though the only spout in sight was that of a finback, belonging to the species of uncapturable whales because of its incredible power of swimming. Nevertheless, the finback's spout is so similar to the sperm whales that by unskillful fishermen it is often mistaken for it and consequently Derrick and all his host were now in valiant chase of this unnearable brute. The virgin, crowding all sail, made after her four young keels, and thus they all disappeared far to leeward, still in bold, hopeful chase. Oh, many are the Finbacks, and many are the Derricks, my friend.